Welcome to Talking Humanitarianism. In this podcast, you will hear from a range of humanitarian researchers and practitioners sharing their reflections on different humanitarian issues, from conflict and disaster, migration and displacement, health and the environment, to humanitarian aid and governance. This podcast series is an initiative of the Research Network on Humanitarian Efforts of the Norwegian Centre for Humanitarian Studies. The NCHS is a collaboration between the Christian Mikkelsen Institute, the Peace Research Institute Oslo and the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs and is funded by the Research Council of Norway. Hello and welcome back to this podcast on humanitarianism and transitions to low carbon future. My name is Ekaterina Zhukova, and I'm a senior lecturer at Lund University in Sweden. This initiative is supported by the Research Network on Humanitarian Efforts of the Norwegian Centre for Humanitarian Studies, NCHS, as for abbreviation. And it is co-organised with my colleague, Antonio De Lauri, research professor at Christian Mikkelsen Institute in Norway and also director of the NCHS. And today it is my pleasure to introduce Long San Cho, senior lecturer in sustainable development at the Department of Geography and Environment and Loughborough University in the United Kingdom. Long Seng's research focuses on the challenges of access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all in the context of climate change, disasters, and conflicts. She has been leading numerous projects on community energy resilience and modern energy cooking services in humanitarian settings. And she has been doing projects in several countries in Africa and South Asia. Currently, Long Seng serves as chair of the United Nations Expert Group on Resource Management Solar Subgroup and chair of the Framework for Energy Security and Resilience in the Pacific Steering Committee, a very, very impressive academic and practitioner um, profile. A warm welcome to you, Long Seng. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. So let me start with a broad question. What has brought you to studying and working with energy in humanitarian settings? That's a really great question. Um, so I've been working in sustainable energy and energy policy for a long time. I studied solar energy engineering and history philosophy of science. Uh, so I have this really broad background, but I've been working on energy in remote areas uh, for a long time, uh, including in places like Nepal. And when the earthquake uh, happened in Nepal in 2015, the Gorkha earthquake, which really devastated many communities, uh, I of course reached out to my colleagues who were based in Kathmandu. I was simply concerned about their well-being at that stage. Um, and uh, luckily they were all okay, but then we got talking about what um, the impacts have been on energy services and how people were really coping with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it soon emerged that there wasn't much data about how people were actually coping in uh, Nepal, but also not in the region either. 
So I worked with colleagues uh, over there to collect some uh, data from earthquake-affected communities after um, the disaster, about a year after. And that really just started this whole research area because, um, you know, we found out so much about what people were doing. And the whole um, idea is that I think that we don't, can't really make progress towards the sustainable development goals. Mm -hmm. SDG 7, it's about uh, energy access, universal energy access for everyone. Mm -hmm. So we simply can't ensure that without looking at resilience. We don't want to be taking steps backwards every time there's a disaster. Right. And one of the concepts that you work with is community energy resilience. And would you like to tell me a bit more about it? Sure. I mean, one of the most important things that we learned was that communities and households are very active uh, in their energy, trying to get access to energy. Uh, and really, they have their own energy resilience strategies. So by putting the word community in front of the words energy resilience, I really wanted to emphasize the role that communities play uh, in accessing energy after disasters. Mm -hmm. um, energy resilience can sometimes be kind of trapped in this technical uh, arena. And I really wanted to break out of that uh, academic uh, or disciplinary silo mm -hmm. uh, and you know look at the more human dimensions. So there's really a two-way link between, mm -hmm. um, firstly, of course, that communities have a big role to play in energy uh, resilience that's seldom acknowledged, but that resilience of energy systems also can add a lot to community resilience. And we haven't really begun to explore those linkages. That's what my research is really about. Mm -hmm. And what role do communities play in accessing energy in humanitarian settings versus how the state engages or how international development or humanitarian actors engage? It's a really good question. So for uh, energy services in particular, the humanitarian system doesn't have what we call an energy cluster within the cluster system. So there's uh, clusters around shelter, for example, that coordinates between uh, different actors working in that area in response to disasters. But there's no such thing for energy. And so in my research, for example, in Nepal, I found that people are using more informal networks to access energy services, more so than in other kinds of sectors like shelter. This is a very uh, important finding that people are much more active. They're really stepping up to the plate um, in terms of energy access. We also found that some technologies were easier for people to repair after disasters themselves. And some technologies, they needed experts to travel, say, from the nearest big city, which causes some delays really in repairing and uh, getting access to energy again. So for example, the smaller renewable energy systems like solar home systems or improved cook stoves, um, they were able to repair themselves. And then some larger uh, items like 
if a turbine for a, uh, a mini hydro system was damaged or the dome of a biogas plant was damaged, those required more expertise mm -hmm. and tended to be a bit more delayed. Mm -hmm. And it is very interesting what you mentioned, that the energy cluster uh, is overlooked in uh, the way how uh, international community through development and humanitarian agency and actors addresses. Why do you think it's overlooked? What contributes to this overlook? Mm -hmm. I think it's a double-edged sword that uh, energy is a cross-cutting issue. It's so important for shelter, for health, for the operations of humanitarian organizations in the aftermath of disasters, that it's integrated in providing those services. So that's a good thing, that energy is integrated into providing services people actually need and want. Mm -hmm. At the same time, then, it becomes very difficult to coordinate those activities if everyone is kind of doing their own thing. So different systems may be put in place uh, for the different um, clusters. Mm -hmm. So I think there is room for some kind of balance to have a view of what people really need, uh, but also to coordinate those activities as well. Mm -hmm. um, there have been efforts, although there are no, uh, is no energy cluster, there have been efforts to uh, bring attention to these issues as well at the international uh, level through uh, a global uh, platform for action mm -hmm. on these kinds of issues on humanitarian energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And earlier you also mentioned that you have background in engineering, which I find extremely fascinating because I have background in social science. So I would like to ask you, what methodology do you consider useful for the area of humanitarian energy and why? I've been really focused on uh, co-designing humanitarian energy systems with displaced people themselves and other stakeholders. So I really believe that setting that research uh, and action agenda together, not just designing the solutions, mm -hmm. that's really key. Um, I have some experience with putting together workshops with really diverse stakeholders, um, either nationally or locally, to really identify those research questions to begin with before we put together clusters into um, into useful and high-impact research projects, but also taking action as well. Mm -hmm. And in this regard, do you think it's also fruitful to combine natural science and social science knowledge when uh, one works in humanitarian settings? Definitely. I mean, I have a background in both. Mm. Uh, so I have a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Engineering. So, of course, I feel that both of those are extremely useful in my day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. um, I think you need to be able to understand the framework in which people are thinking and working before you can make a useful suggestion to how things could be improved. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think... Working in teams is absolutely key, and having that diversity within your team is really key. Mm -hmm. 
And you have also worked across different uh, continents in South Asia in one of the uh, key fields is Nepal, right? But also in Mozambique and Ethiopia in uh, the African continent. And to what extent do you see similarities and differences in how people tackle challenges uh, to access uh, energy? I would say there are quite a lot of similarities. It's been very heartening, actually, mm -hmm. to see community responses to global challenges like climate adaptation and climate mitigation that people are able to take collective action at that level um, even though we are struggling to really meet our targets um, there. So I would say there's a common thread that holds all of this together. I would say that the words energy resilience may mean different things to different communities because they have different priorities and challenges that they're facing. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Nepal, I think the major energy challenge might be energy security. Mm -hmm. And so energy resilience brings up a lot of those issues. Mm -hmm. In Malawi, the resilience issues are more to do with the cycles of floods and droughts that they've been facing and the food security issues that that has created. Mm -hmm. So energy resilience is also then based in that context mm -hmm. and do you think it will be helpful to have an overarching um, definition and understanding of energy um, of community um, energy resilience or do you think it's better to have context dependent definition and understanding when we are trying to create solutions i think the latter but with this concept of community energy resilience mm -hmm. I'm trying to foreground that idea that we must start from where communities currently are, what they're currently trying to do to okay. tackle the issues that are important to them as mm -hmm. our first starting point on energy resilience, mm -hmm. rather than a more uh, conceptual approach that kind of locks out their perspectives and knowledges. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you would um, summarise all the findings that you had so far from all the projects, and it's a very difficult exercise. What do you think the most important finding um, in your work has been that also influenced how you think and how you would like to work further with, with this problem? I think the most important discovery or finding on this journey so far mm -hmm. is that communities and households are very active mm -hmm. in accessing energy. And they have their own energy resilience strategies. Mm -hmm. So we need to put that at the center of our understanding, our theory and practice on energy resilience. Mm -hmm. And once we've done that, I think that applies to other infrastructure as well. So I think that we can offer more sensible integrated solutions to resilience issues if we take this as a starting point. Mm -hmm. And I know that you have been to Nepal recently doing fieldwork, right? So I'd like to ask you, what are you working now? On? Yes, um, I have just recently come back from a research visit to Kathmandu. Mm -hmm. uh, it is actually to plan fieldwork uh, for next year. It's part of my Engineering for Development Research Fellowship from the Royal Academy of Engineering. Mm -hmm. And the aims of that 
particular project is to help engineers to design more resilient energy systems by building on existing community energy resilience strategies and uh, local innovations. Mm-hmm. So currently in both Nepal and Malawi, I'm working with uh, local institutions to co-create solutions with communities there. So we're running some pilot projects and then we're also using that experience to build uh, tools that can help communities and engineers to plan better. So that includes um, something called QSAM. It stands for Quantifying Sustainability in the Aftermath of Natural Disasters. Mm-hmm. And it's a, uh, it's a self-assessment tool that you can use to see how sustainable your intervention is uh, and how it might be improved. So there's an energy component to it that um, I'm feeding my research into. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. And I'm also thinking, would you like to share an example, if possible, about strategies that local people use and how then um, engineers that help out to co-design um, solutions engage with them? Maybe just an example or, or a few of what kind of strategies exist from the field. Yes, I can give you an example from one of the communities that we're working with uh, Mm. in Malawi. So we're in this co-creation process. Um, So the community is in the south of Malawi, uh, and they have a micro-hydro system that's quite large. And they're quite interested in actually using electricity for cooking. So we're running a uh, a pilot of how that might uh, integrate into their mini grid and perhaps make it more financially uh, sustainable but we then also have to make sure that it's still going to be technically robust as a system that we're not overloading it so that's something that they're interested in uh, also in malawi they're quite interested in different productive uses of energy around agriculture so um, agricultural processing Uh, So livelihoods is one particular impact pathway towards greater community resilience Mm -hmm. that they see. So they do have a disaster context, but communities really articulate what they want in terms of of livelihood strategies. So that's what we're really focusing on. And do you think that disaster or conflict or, or climate change, the modern days challenges that you are focusing on, do they offer opportunities or do they create more challenges for how communities cope or both in your experience? Mm, I think both. There are definitely challenges that we haven't really yet thought through how we can tackle. Communities might do things like actually relocate um, from an area of higher hazard and risk mm-hmm. to areas where that uh, they feel safer in terms of environment. And that might be on a temporary basis. So what does that mean in terms of energy infrastructure? Does it then need to be portable uh, or would you build a second set? So I think there's lots of really interesting um collaborations that are possible with researchers to really think through uh, those kinds of challenges. Of course, there are opportunities for change as well. So 
I think there are opportunities for greater participation from communities in large infrastructure discussions through this kind of action. And in fact, in Nepal, Malawi and Kenya, the uh, constitution has been revitalized to uh, allow for more powers at local or provincial level, uh, including in the energy sector. And so building capacity of local governments and local actors in order to make decisions around energy, I believe will bring greater energy access, but also greater energy resilience and better ability to cope uh, with these kinds of challenges. Mm -hmm. And if we look into the future, what would you like to work on in the future? Have you thought about it? Or is it too early to think about that question? I'm always thinking about <laughs> what comes next. Um, as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm uh, working very closely with uh, stakeholders in the Pacific and the Pacific Islands. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd like to, you know, really work with them to Im implement the uh, FESREP, the Framework for Energy Security and Resilience in the Pacific, which is their um, policy up to 2030. They have faced annual challenges, for example, in terms of cyclones um, and uh, recently a volcanic eruption. And so energy security and resilience is just front and center of their um, policy making. And I really want to focus on the needs of historically marginalized groups to understand things like gender equality and inclusion, how they, they can be integrated into resilient infrastructure planning. And uh, I think the issue of how energy sits alongside other infrastructure services is going to be really important in that discussion as well. Mm -hmm. And I find it very fascinating how you can combine both academic work, but also practitioner work. And I would like to ask what kind of opportunities, but also challenges it might bring when one has to combine different kinds of knowledges in one place. Definitely. I think the hmm, generic skills are actually very important. Mm -hmm. um, so developing listening skills which is of course very useful as a qualitative researcher but that is also very important in understanding how a group needs to move forward to the next step so things like that i think are really transferable across both my academic roles and also uh, my more uh, practitioner roles as you said Yes, and which means that we not only have to have our specific professional background, but also generic skills are important in tackling more than these challenges, including in the energy, affordability, access uh, to people, uh, but also to achieving the sustainable development goals in general. I think it's a fantastic observation from your own experience. Thank you so much for sharing. And I wish you best of luck in your work in the current and in the future and um, i hope that more people are gonna uh, work on this topic and there will be a cluster on energy uh, within the uh, humanitarian and development community and that uh, more people will be able to create co-create uh, and co-design 
solutions. I would like to remind our listeners that my precious guest today was Long Sen Cho, Senior Lecturer in Sustainable Development at the Department of Geography and Environment at the Loughborough University in the United Kingdom. And if you want to know, like to know more about uh, work on humanitarianism, you can visit our website www.humanitarianstudies.no and we will be back. Thank you very much for listening.